This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, will you play that lick for us? Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I look some stuff up on Wikipedia, watch some YouTube about it, and I'm gonna explain it to my friend David Gerondale. David, what's up? Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Right on. What are we gonna learn about? Um, I think we're gonna call it the Resolute Desk. Okay. Uh, so we're learning yeah. about a desk. A desk. A very particular desk. Mm-hmm. A determined and resolute desk. <laughs> So, yeah, the Resolute Desk is the desk in the Oval Office in the West Wing of the White House that many presidents have used, and it has, like, a crazy interesting backstory. Okay, so it's a named desk. It's like swords and fantasy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a named (laughs) desk. Um, So, one of the best resources for this section that we're about to get into was from a video by Zephyrus on YouTube. Okay. I just want to say that, because... He was really helpful. Thanks, Zephyrus. Um, so in the mid-1800s, people were still searching for the fabled Northwest Passage. Oh, yep, yep. Yeah. And, like, that'd be, like, a way to get to the Atlant- to the Pacific or Atlantic above Canada. Right. Um, so not having to go all the way around the Horn of South yeah, Africa. Yeah, go through Russia. Or, and, sorry, uh, South America. Yeah, and then end up going past Russia and Alaska. Right. Um, and that would be like really good for trade if it was ever a viable oh, way yeah, to travel. Definitely. Like, yeah, you wouldn't have to go. All Even the if way it was open only part part of a year, it would still be great. Yeah. Um. So, like in 1854, the British government, still trying to find the Northwest Passage, commissioned Rear Admiral Sir John Franklin to find the route, and there were only like 300 miles left to chart. Okay. Yeah, and. Uh, so, like, basically, they, they were 300 miles away from the From Pacific. having something that they, like, a chartable path. Right. Yeah. So, basically, there were 300 miles separating the, the Atlantic from the Pacific at where they had yeah, gotten above to Canada. at the furthest point? Yeah. Okay. Um. So, uh, John Franklin, he was the knight. He was the lieutenant governor of Tasmania. He was an explorer and an officer of the Royal Navy. Okay, wow. Yeah, he had a lot of accolades. But he was, like, already 59 when they were going to set out. Okay, yeah, makes sense. And, like, a bunch of people doubted that he'd be the best for the command. He's old. Yeah. But the first choice, the guy, Sir James Clark Ross, he didn't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) So Franklin, he set out on his two ships. There was the HMS Erebus and the HMS Terror. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. Weird name, right? The Terror is more. Like ab- he's not a pirate. More of an afternoon. Yeah. Why yeah, is it not- the Terror? Like, who is it yeah. a Terror to? <laughs> I don't know. It's like a research vessel. I didn't actually, yeah, I didn't look much into the Terror, like back history. Weird. But um, the ships were actually really well stocked. They had. A combined crew of 134 men, and they had almost three years of food for all of them. 
And but the food was rushed, and many of the cans were like probably improperly sealed. Oh, gross! Yeah, um, they had over a thousand books in their libraries, and the ships had these newly invented steam engines. So they could like self-power the ships at four knots, like oh, without shit. the sails. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, so they were like pretty high tech. Yeah, trying to find it. The um, terror. The terror. The terror. <laughs> Um, so yeah, they first made their way to like a cu- couple places. Then after that, they made their way to Greenland. So where, where was, where was the port where he started? Um, it was somewhere in England. Okay. I want to say, I want to say it was someplace called Kent. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I'm not, I didn't note it, so I'm not sure. Uh, someone should correct us on this, but I think yeah, Kent hopefully. is like north of London. Yeah, I think that's where Kent County is. That would make sense. Um, but anyway, let's get back to more stuff. That's on the okay, note. I just want to know because he was from Tasmania for so, in, for, or an instance. Um, he, well, you said he was the governor of Tasmania, the lieutenant governor of Tasmania. So he must have been there, right? Yeah, he must have been there. But he was a he was a ro- like Royal Navy officer, so probably been all over the world and an explorer. Right, but he was the lieutenant governor when they called upon him, right? Yeah. So he went all the way to England and then set out on his journey. Yeah, they first made their way to Greenland so they could get food after going to those like few miscellaneous places. And so they get food and discharge five of the crew who were sick. Oh, okay. But that like, was like... Get them out. <laughs> yeah, get them out. That was so good for those guys. <laughs> um, it was like in June or July in 1845 they went to Greenland. Okay. And that was the last time any of the crew were seen alive by Europeans. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being one of those five guys who got dropped off in Greenland? Yeah, like, you would feel like a lucky duck. Yeah, seriously. A sick duck. <laughs> Maybe they died from TB anyway. A lot of people were. Is that what they had, TB? I don't I don't know. Oh. I don't know, but if they did, they probably just died anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, they probably died eventually Yeah. anyway, regardless of any disease. So after that, they kept going westward and traveling between Baffin and Devon Islands. Like, on their route north, they hadn't even got to the unexplored part. And do we know this just because this is where they had intended to go? No, a lot of it is actually from writings from John Franklin. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they got stuck. They got stuck after traveling between Baffin and Devon, De- Devon's Island and got stuck in the frozen ocean. And while they were there, three of their crew died of TB. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And when the ice cleared that summer, they got on their way, traveled almost 400 miles southwest before they got stuck stuck again near King Williams Island. Man, it's crazy to imagine that you can go 400 miles toward the south and still like Yeah, like be in southwest, yeah. Zone <laughs> of yeah. just like frozen oceans, right? Yeah, and at this point they were only 150 miles away from the unexplored part. Oh, okay. Yeah, that they intended to chart in the first place. But the sea ice didn't melt at all that summer. And they didn't have a choice but to spend the winter of 46 and 47 there. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, didn't even melt at all. And they were fucking expecting that, surely. Holy, man, that would be like... That would be the height of despair. I mean, it's still probably flowing. like the depth of despair, I guess. Yeah, seriously. Um, and of course people were starting to die more rapidly of TB and pneumonia. 
and Sir John Franklin himself died in June 47. Really? Yeah. Okay. 47. Okay. And by April 48, everything was like absolutely fucked. <laughs> like the crew decided to abandon the ship with a planned trek to the nearest outpost, the Hudson Bay Colony. Okay. That was like hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Right. Yeah. And they made makeshift sleds out of the lifeboats. Like they were trying to walk to land. Yeah. Basically. Uh, <laughs> yeah, off these islands and stuff. Um, yeah, they made these sleds and dragged their supplies along in them, made out of the lifeboats. And by now, only 106 were alive. Okay. Yeah. And, like, this is where stuff actually gets more shaky because, like, we were talking about uh, John Franklin was doing most of the writing about it. And right. he was, like, leaving his writings in cans within rocks that were, like, piled up. So as they were easier to find. Okay. Yeah. Um, but now the crew is like mostly focused on surviving. And so like the rest of the stories are based on like archaeological evidence, stuff found by later expeditions and stories passed on by Inuit oral tradition. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And like you can actually track their expedition south on King Williams Island with grave sites and bodies found along the coastline. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. It's that well kind of like documented, documented. from an archaeological perspective. Yep. And like the stuff they had on them that ties into it. And like the more south you go, the more makeshift the grave sites become. Mm. And like many of the bodies actually show signs of cannibalism. Oh. Like with scratches and chopping marks on the bones Ooh, that are like indicate that like the meat was separated. Do what you gotta do. You do what you gotta do. That's Beats how I me. feel about it. Like if they're dead. But I mean, don't murder someone. No, 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 don't murder someone. But yeah, if they're dead. Like and you're gonna die anyway. They all <laughs> I mean yeah, we already said they all died. But yeah, that would have been a hard decision because their culture was even more against cannibalism, the Victorian right. culture. Like they wouldn't they wouldn't have been okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like it's it's just evidenced by how long they'd been there that they didn't resort to that right away. It, right. It was like it was the last resort. Yeah, the Donner Party. They were stuck there for like what a winter. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like eat each other now. <laughs> we already ate the boots, man. I'm hungry. <laughs> also, they were like actually. Um, I think they were like 200 miles from the Central Valley. Oh, really? Yeah. They were uh, not very far from reaching. But still, like... But, I mean, I they couldn't even, have made it. Yeah, I, I still don't even really want to criticize those guys. It's just, like, comparing them to... Yeah, to these, these guys who, like, were there for yeah. years. Yep. And they did have supplies. And anyway... Um, yeah, rotten, improperly canned supplies. Yeah, that gave them all lead poisoning. Actually. Yeah, because they used lead solder. Yeah. And... Canned uh, can suck. <laughs> So like yeah after after John Franklin died there weren't any reports from 1849 but in 1850 a group of Inuit came across about 40 men dragging one of the lifeboats and they actually just were like yeah we can't fucking save these guys and so they just like eventually they like moved on mm. like there's nothing to be done for these people we can't save them it's just like too many of them probably to yeah. feed yeah too many yeah. of them and but like not long after that, the crew splintered into several different groups. Oh, yeah, 
And uh, here's one of the best. That mm. probably actually increases your odds of survival in some At ways. At that point, yeah. yeah. Yeah, to a degree. It's like 40 people. That's a lot of, if you don't really have any supplies with you, that's a lot of mouths to and feed every day. Some people just move faster. And if you can get somebody to the, to the final destination faster than everyone else, then they'll know what's going on and be able to come rescue the latter. Yeah. Yeah, it would make sense. But yeah, here's a, one of the most vivid accounts from a, an Inuit meeting the survivors. It's a big, long quote. My father, Mangag, was with Tetskigag in Kablut, I'm sure I horribly mispronounced those, on a seal hunt on the west side of King William's Island when they heard shouts and discovered three white men who stood on the shore waving to them. The white men were very thin, hollow-cheeked, and looked ill. They were dressed in white man's clothes, had no dogs, and were traveling with sledges, which they drew themselves. They bought seal meat and blubber and paid with a knife. There was great joy on both sides of this bargain, and the white men cooked the meat at once with the aid of blubber and ate it. Later on, the strangers went along to my father's tent and stayed there the night before returning to their own little tent, which was not of animal skins, but of something that was white like snow. Oh... So it was made from the sails, right? Yeah, probably. Just made from the sails. And shit. That's an interesting account. Right? So that was after they splintered, of course, and it yeah. was a smaller group of, smaller of group. men that they were dealing with. And most of the other accounts are just like, yeah, we found tents full of bodies. Um, or Probably like, succumbed to sickness. Or, you know, yeah. it succumbed to starvation. Eventually starvation. you get so weak that you can't go out and look for food. Yeah. And you're conscious, but exactly. you can't do anything to, to prevent yourself from, from wasting away. Could be a combination, most likely a combination. Oh, absolutely. Being weak sickness from and, sickness and starvation. And, uh, and like the lead poisoning they were getting were making them more weak too, oh. which just allowed more viruses and yeah. stuff Yeah, to long-term lead their... poisoning usually leads to um, uh, neurodegenerative uh, properties, I think. Yeah. Um, by 1850, all 129 people on the Erebus and Terror were dead. But nobody knew that. By 1850? By 1850. Okay. Nobody knew that, though. And they'd been expected back by 1848. And so, like, without any information, the president and government, they're getting hella worried. Yeah. Like, they're like, what the fuck? <laughs> they're not back. They're just—they're all actually out there starving and dying. I don't think—I don't think Great Britain had a president. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> no, Queen Victoria probably. <laughs> yeah. Um. And uh, an award of twenty thousand pounds was organized for the location of the expedition. Oh wow! Yeah, and that's about like three million dollars now. Oh boy! Yeah. Um. So in eighteen fifty one. A rescue expedition with five British ships arrived in the area. The HMS Pioneer, the HMS Assistance, the HMS Intrepid, the HMS North Star, and of course the HMS Resolute. Oh, there wasn't like the Devourer, <laughs> the Devourer, or like the, the HMS Chaos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the HMS Impaler. <laughs> horror, they Devastator. Sh they should went with horror. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but yeah, all those ships, they also got stuck in the ice and... Oh, fuck. <laughs> they were, they Jeez. Were they're like, I wonder what possibly could have happened to them out in the... 
Fuck. Oh, shit. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> they were all abandoned, like, way quicker. Okay, they were like, let's not stay here for yeah. three years. And, like, abandoning ship was a big deal, so all of the all of the captains got court-martialed. Oh, man. But I don't think they were punished. Okay. Um, But, yeah, the Pioneer, the Assistants, the Intrepid, and the North Star, they were all lost for good. Oh, well. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of to be expected. Yeah. Frozen and ice. But the Resolute had been slowly moving eastward with the ice flow and was eventually found in 1855 by American whalers. It just, like, migrated home. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to America. <laughs> to the Americans. Yeah. But, yeah. But it was like a little sea doggy. Yep. And uh, the Resolute was restored by the U.S. government and returned to England in 1856. Oh, nice. Yeah. So It's a nice gesture. Yep. Uh, Queen Victoria herself actually met the ship on arrival, and the whalers who legally owned the ship gave it to her as a symbol of friendship between nations that had been at war less than a century ago. Yeah. War of 1812. Yep. Yeah. And they... Uh, but they're like, hey, let's be homies now. Nice. And here's a ship. Here's a ship. And like, apparently, it was a big fucking deal. Yeah, like, they're like, they're like finders keepers. But like, here you go. Yeah. And well, also, they, we they shined also it for you. They, yeah, and it probably costs like a million dollars in today's money to have it refurbished. To have it refurbished. Yeah, because I mean, it was all beat up from ice flows. Yeah. And probably, and probably they took a bunch of the shit in order to abandon it too. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, but after, so after the HMS Resolute got back to England, it was actually used by the Royal Navy in, for 30 years until 1879, which, when it was decommissioned. And then Queen Victoria had a bunch of desks made from the timbers. Oh, really? That's kind of cool. Okay. Um, Oh, shit. Yep. That's where we get to where we are. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, where we started. She had two desks made for herself. One was a small writing table, and the other was an even smaller writing table she had made for a private yacht. <laughs> okay. And one Didn't was... Know she had one. <laughs> yep. What it a has man. a cool name that I should have written down, her private yacht. Um, one was given to the widow of Henry Gin- Grinnell, an American merchant and philanthropist. Mm. But the last one, the one we're interested in, was presented to President Rutherford B. Hayes, in November 1880. Okay. Yeah. Here's a quote from Wikipedia. Because in, actually as a precursor to the quote, in National Treasure 2, it was a thing that there was the Resolute Desk and there were like twin Resolute Desk. And in the movie, they said that the Resolute Desk had a twin made by the Queen. But none of the desks were identical. Okay. They were all different, uh, unique, custom. So I just gave the quote away. But the existence of the almost twin desk, the one similar to the desk given to the U.S. president, has been denied by the royal collection at St. James Palace in London. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they're just like, no. No, that was never made. No, thank you, National Treasure. Yeah, movie. Which I thought was fun, a fun movie, but... Never saw it. I might be talking about one. I don't think I've seen two. But yeah, actually, um, the Resolute Desk is one of only six desks to have ever been used in the Oval Office. Oh, okay. Interesting. And presumably, well, one of them was destroyed in the War of 1812, I assume. Well, the actual, actually, the West Wing and the Oval Office weren't even built by the time the Resolute Desk was gifted to the president. Oh. 
Um, Duh. And they certainly weren't. It was certainly wasn't around. During, I was thinking yeah. of. I guess when you said that, I extrapolated to a larger statement that it was only one of six desks used by, by the president. president. Yeah. yeah, in the Oval Office. Gotcha. Um, so here's a quote from Wiki. Before construction of the West Wing, presidential staff worked on the western end of the second floor of what is now the executive residence. But when Teddy Roosevelt became president, he found that the existing offices in the mansion were insufficient to accommodate his family of six children and as well as his staff. Okay, big family. Yeah, and the staffs are probably getting bigger too. Yep. So after finding all that shit out, they started construction of what is now the West Wing. Gotcha. And in that TV show, yeah, okay, yeah, they started that ran for a long time. It did since 1909. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in 1909, William Howard Taft played placed the first Oval Office at the center of the addition's south facade. This is another wiki quote, reminiscent of the Oval Rooms on the three floors of the White House. Later, at the outset of his presidency, Hubert Hoover rebuilt the West Wing, excavating a partial basement and supporting it with structural steel. And the completed building lasted less than seven months. Because <laughs> in December 1929, the West Wing was significantly damaged by an electrical fire. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Did anybody die? No, nobody died. Okay. But then Hoover rebuilt the West Wing and added air conditioning. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, good show. Good, good call. Yeah, air conditioning is nice. Um, so now we're we'll get back to the Resolute Desk. I just wanted to talk about the Oval Office. Okay. And the West Wing. Um, president John F. Kennedy was the first president to put the Resolute Desk in the Oval Office. Oh, so that's a pretty recent and modern thing, then. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, Jackie had it restored, and she was actually the one who put it in the Oval Office. Oh, I, just said, I see. I just said it was John, but it was actually But it was Jackie. during his presidency, but it was yeah. actually her. She said she found it, quote, languishing in the White House broadcast room. Oh. Yeah. Good for her. But after... That's cool. Right? She's a champ. But after John F. Kennedy got assassinated... In 63, the desk toured with a traveling exhibit for the Kennedy Presidential Library and then was given to the Smithsonian Institute. Oh. Yeah. So it's no longer there. Okay. No, Jimmy Carter brought it back into the oh, Oval shit. Office okay. <laughs> in the 70s. And since then, Ronald Reagan, Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, Barack Obama, and Donald Trump have all used it in their, their Oval Office. Okay. Yeah. So it's been through a lot. But like I said, there have only been six desks in the Oval Office. Yep. So how I want to end this episode is I want to first describe the desks, and then we'll do it chronologically and say the presidents and which desks they use. Okay. You, you dig? Yeah. Okay. So the Theodore Roosevelt desk has been used by seven presidents. It was created in 1903 for Teddy Roosevelt, and it was first used by Taft. And it stayed there until the West Wing fire of 29. And then Harry S. Truman brought it back from storage in 45. And Nixon, he actually, Nixon used the Roosevelt desk in the Eisenhower executive office west of the West Wing, where the Watergate tapes were made by an apparatus concealed in his drawer. Oh, that's interesting. Right? It got like a final nice yeah. chunk of history added to it. Yep. Then the Hoover desk has been used by two presidents. 
And after the fire in 29, Hoover accepted the desk from furniture maker in Grand Rapids. And then Franklin D. Roosevelt also used the Hoover desk. Okay, Grand Rapids is about 45, 50 minutes away from my hometown in Michigan. Oh, yeah. Muskegon. Nice. Um, Then we get to the Resolute desk, which has been used by seven presidents. So seven presidents have used the Theodore Roosevelt desk, and seven have used the Resolute. Okay. Um, And all of the most recent seven presidents, besides George H.W. Bush, have used the Resolute desk. What did he use? He used... We'll, we'll get to that one. It's the last one. Oh, okay. Um, then we have the Johnson desk, and that was only used by Lyndon B. Johnson. And uh, he used the same desk from the time he was in the Senate through his tenure in the Oval Office. Oh, interesting. So he just kept the same just desk. His desk. Gotcha. He just wanted to use that one. Um, then there is a Wilson desk used by two presidents, and uh, <laughs> Nixon actually used it both as vice president and president as he believed it was used by Woodrow Wilson. But Wikipedia says, in actuality, the desk was not used by Woodrow Wilson. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> that is funny. Um, and he then, admired Wilson, I guess. Yeah. Then you have the C&O desk, uh, which is the one that George H.W. used. The C&O? The C&O desk. It was like given... Shit, I should have wrote this down. It was like given by some oil company shit i should have totally wrote that down but uh george hw used it during his tenure as both vice president and president of the united states but previously presidents gerald ford jimmy carter and ronald reagan used it in the west wing study oh okay so it's an old desk so yeah it was an old desk with history he probably just liked it better um and also had used it as vice president so i okay. just wanted to stick with it so, yeah, uh, you want to finish it out with the Oval de- Oval Office desks chronologically? Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, William Howard Taft, Woodrow Wilson, Warren G. Harding, and Calvin Coolidge used the Theodore Roosevelt desk. Herbert Hoover started to use the Roosevelt desk, and that's when the fire happened. And then Franklin D. Roosevelt used the Hoover desk after him. Then... Harry S. Truman and Dwight D. Eisenhower went back to the Theodore Roosevelt desk. Okay. And then John F. Kennedy used the Resolute desk. Okay. And then, because Jackie, Jackie. yeah, because Jackie brought her back. And then Lyndon B. Johnson used the Johnson's desk. Yep. Then Richard Nixon and Gerald Ford used the Wilson desk. And then Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan used the Resolute desk. Then George H.W. Bush went to the CNO desk, and then all of the recent four presidents have used the Resolute desk. Gotcha. Um, I wonder if that's going to become a standing thing now. I kind of hope so, because I think it's my favorite one. Um, and there's some really, really cool pictures of it. Like, um, I think, I can't remember what uh, John F. Kennedy's son is named, but there's a cool picture of him like behind a little partition that was made for Lyndon B. Johnson to hide his leg braces because it used to be open on the front. Uh-huh. But Lyndon B. Johnson had like a swinging door made to hide his leg braces. Okay. And uh, so there's like that picture, like all the presidents who have used it, like re- have been within the time of good photos. Like, Barack Obama got a lot lot of hot shit. 
for saying for putting his feet up on it. Huh. <laughs> but like, you know what? Fuck it. I would I would absolutely put my feet up on that desk. Yeah. It's my fucking desk. Yep. I'm the fucking You're the president. fucking president. Like, Jesus fuck. They were looking so hard for shit to do. <laughs> fucking uh Trump on like a a tour to the French ambassador or Probably not the ambassador. Yeah, French head of state. Um, Emmanuel Macron. Yeah, maybe. Anyway, um, <laughs> he uh, like said the the desk had been there since like 1812. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. He has no fucking idea. Yeah, no, clearly not. Um, His yeah. world is so interesting. <laughs> But yeah, that's pretty much like wh- like. You, uh, sorry, but no, you you're recently, right. You recently heard about uh, his speech when he was talking about how um, during the Revolutionary War, when they were like capturing all the airports, oh yeah, and seizing the skies. <laughs> he has no concept of history, history like at all. <laughs> it's hilarious, honestly. But I mean, it, it's only hilarious because I'm jaded, I guess. It shouldn't be as hilarious as it is. Um, I guess and, you can have your laughing and you cry. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a happy baby. Um, I don't got nothing else on the Resolute Desk or the HMS Terror. Or I'm thinking I'm going to call this the Resolute Desk, but we talked about all the presidential desks. We call it Oval Office Desks and the HMS Terror. I think, yeah, anyway. Yeah, it's mostly about the Resolute Desk, though. Yeah. So, anyway, that's all I got about the Resolute Desk. You got anything else you want to talk about? No, it seems like a hell of a desk. Right? It's beautiful. Go look at pictures of it. Okay. I really like it. And that's it for this episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provide them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art and logo by Monet Moran. I want to thank all of our past and current cherished and beloved listeners on Patreon. Your support means everything to me, to us, and the show itself. If you want to support the show like them, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations. Tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode or leave a review on iTunes. Likely, we got a bunch of things wrong. And if you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at Dexplanationspodcast at gmail.com. Tweet me at Dexplanations or come at on the ins- or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you're a great troubleshooter. Real handy to have around. Bye now. <laughs>